This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys. Welcome back to Land Lakes Podcast. Matt, are you there? I am here. What's up, guys? Yeah. Hey. I guess say, what's up to you? Yeah. <laughs> As well. It seems yeah. like life is just passing by. Yeah, man. It's been... I don't think... I mean, uh, I'm not sure anybody would really comprehend just how hectic it is for us right now and <laughs> in, in trying to do podcasts and, I mean, do two a week. And then, you know, prepare for two more next week and two more the next week. And it's this like, you know, I can try to plan and say, hey, let's do it at nap time. And nap time meaning my kids nap time, my two oldest. And then let's do one at dark. And then it's like, oh, sorry, dude. No, that's the case for today is like, yeah, uh, we can plan. No, mm -mm, can't do it. We're going to have to do both of them after everyone goes to sleep. So here we are. Here we are. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, it, it, it's just time of our lives and how busy our business is and how we've just, I mean, that's one of the biggest components why you don't see constant video um, from us is because we are a pretty small um, band of, and you might as well just call us a band of brothers, um, right. whether that be brothers, actual blood brothers or uh, brothers-in-law, but yeah, we've we few, we band of brothers. That's us. That's it. Grind, uh, grind, grind. But I think I think a lot of people can relate to that grind when in whatever business and life stuff that they've got going on. And and honestly, it kind of brings a good this week's topic. And and it's kind of a, a new term. And there's kind of things that we don't talk a lot about on the podcast. Yeah, this is fresh um, stuff. We've never covered it. I know. And and so it's like. I'm excited to be able to cover it. And, and I think that um, to be able to cover it, there's definitely things that we want to highlight up front um, about the topic and about the um, the order in which it falls. Most no doubt. Importantly. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, before we get, before we get kicking into it though, we got to thank one of our partners um, that help on this. And this is going to be, this one will be, uh, I mean, they're utilized a lot day-to-day for us, but Onyx, um, the Onyx app that we use daily. Um, but in this podcast, we'll share, I'll make a screen. I'll, the thumbnail to this one will be an Onyx file showing the layout of one of the items or one of the plots that we highlight here um, of the practices that we're using on this podcast, So, which is going to be tree plantings. And, and we've never covered it. And, and frankly, we've, let's just be honest, we've talked a little negatively of it in past from the standpoint of how it's arranged and the overuse of it is really what the negative, um, negative vibe is. Um, but yeah. in this podcast, we're going to break down how it can be utilized and how it should be laid out. And so you'll see an Onyx file. So, you know, uh, if you if for whatever reason you don't know what Onyx is, 
you need to find out because it's one of the most utilized tools as a land manager and as a deer hunter you can have. It's right on your phone, turns any smartphone into a GPS, but it's more than that. It's it's using different tools and polygons and, and uh, tracking features as well as being able to share those files with friends or family members and helping you ultimately become a better land manager. If you want a 20% discount, use Land of Legacy 20 at checkout. And, frankly, yeah. go to with the Elite Package so you can have, I mean, for us, we're in multiple states, so that's what we run. But, man, it's just a, a phenomenal tool. So, anyway, enough about that. Trees. Let's, let's talk trees. Let's talk mm. what we haven't talked about. I know. And, and uh, I, I, I'm so glad we're, we're taking the time to be able to do it um, because, like you did state earlier, um, and, and guilty as all get out, I have talked rather uh, negatively about them. And, and I think that stems originally from Adam where we travel and see properties. Um, totally. you know, our main goal is to be critical and, and observational of um, what's happening, um, whether it's time on a property, how it's being spent, whether it mm-hmm. is um, the impact. Uh, that that landowners are making because everyone wants to make a bigger impact and so we see oftentimes um the feel good activities if you will kind of come in on the front end of things but the the return can be uh limited if it's not paired with other sound no pun intended right paired (laughs) <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't even realize you did that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we'll cover uh, a lot on, on why, you know, the good and the bad and the ugly of, of tree plantings. Um, but ultimately, like you mentioned, when it comes to all of our travels in consulting now in 29 or 30 states, um, we've seen some very good properties, and then we've seen properties that have been horribly uh, mismanaged. Um, and who knows why they've been mismanaged. It could be all kinds of things. But one thing that comes true is there's way more negative impacts or negative, um, impressions that I've found from tree plantings, whether it be hard or soft mass on a property than seeing good plantings. Um, what is right. your, what, what's been your experience, Matt? Cause we don't consult, you know, the first two years of consulting, Matt and I consulted together. Um, and now we no longer do that. We're, we're entirely, I shouldn't say we never do that. We do that occasionally. Um, but we mostly are, are in different places in different farms. Um, so I know what, when I hear of a, of a, a tree or orchard or a nursery being planted, I know what I picture. And I assume it's probably what you picture too, Matt. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I, I would think <clears throat> I would say six to seven out of ten tree plantings um, are within a hundred yards of any cabin or lodging or um, barn, whatever, just from an ease of maintenance standpoint. Yeah. But but they are um, non not pruned, not um, managed well, generally speaking, and typically don't produce quantity of um, fruit tree, fruit bearing, whatever, Mm -hmm. 
that everyone really thinks of and intends. It, it, if you will, it's like a, it's like the first time you plant a food plot. And you're like, oh, you just dream big, right? Yeah. And you're like, crap. Well, that didn't turn out great. That's kind of where typically see most tree plantings um, end up, and, and they're they're just okay. Here's my orchard. Like it's almost like it's a checkbox. Like I have a recreational property, mm-hmm. so I have to have an orchard check here it is regardless of quality regardless of location regardless of um species selected mm-hmm. orientation of them blah 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 you name it it's just it's there i've got it move on to the next thing and it's shotgun and think- blast management where it's just like we've thrown every species that we got our hands on we throw yeah. it out there and hopefully hopefully something's lethal and uh right. Usually it's just a wound to the landscape and it, and it goes on, on about its way. I think for me, you know, you brought up some valid points, one of them being location. But when I think of location in a, in a tree planting, I think of bad food plots turned tree plots or turned into these tree, you know, we'll just call them tree plots for short, where it was a mediocre food plot at best, and they threw some fruit trees on it, and then they really kind of let the food plot go. So it's like this wildlife opening with some just random weeds or perennial grasses, non-native grasses, and these trees growing. And the trees are left unmaintained, and they're not, you know, they haven't been sprayed to control any pests or control any disease. And they, one of them that really is is kind of a heartbreak is whenever it was planted more than five years ago and then the tubes are still on them and trees are trying to grow out of the tubes and they're starting to split and trees are are like tubes are laying on the ground and stuff scattered everywhere and there's parts of weed mats like flying around it's like this kind of looks a little bit like a litter area like you just dumped a bunch of stuff and hope that it disappears um yeah and that's been anytime you have an aromatic tree um they're gonna want to get rubbed they're gonna want to get pushed on nudged on so whether you do wire cages where you whether you do the plastic breathable oh well, uh, i think the, these are just like the the typical tubes that's another yeah. point I, I don't typically see the wire baskets on them usually it's a stake and the tube and then that's it in the weed mat and you'll go by and it's just like half of them are leaning over or dead and and then there was no follow-up, hey, those trees are dead, let's go get the tubes. And I'm guilty of this. We have a little orchard on our farm that um, in a previous employment, we worked with a tree company and we planted some of the farm. Is like, you know, looking back, they we got a bunch of apples and we're in a landscape surrounded by cedars. And so cedar apple rust was not our friend. And we had a pretty good amount of, uh, of, of not so successful apple trees over time. That was probably six years ago, I think. And um, I just had to pull up the tubes later on. It was like, okay, this is, you know, I felt a little like, you know, a little bit more like a litter than I did about doing anything beneficial. I mean, how many, how many deer have you seen in that? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But at the same time, even if it was a beautiful food plot, how many deer would I see in that? Not many because the location is bad. Exactly. Because a lot of times what we see is when you pick an area to plant a tree, uh, like a tree plot or plant these trees, you don't necessarily take them out of, 
you don't you don't put them on some of your best food plots and then go, well, I'll plant around it. No, you usually pick areas where you're like, I don't really want to plant around those things, so let's go in a different spot. And so then you go into something less desirable for the wildlife, so which means less daylight activity, which means you spend less time hunting it, which means you have less emphasis on making it better. And then on down the line you go, and you're like, yeah, it was mediocre at best. Like you, you kind of started off on a bad foot, and you never – came out uh never never made it better and um that's like some of the biggest complaints i have with with these tree plots and the other one being complete overdone from the planting side like let's just say and it kind of goes with with the food plot scenario that we talk a lot about no 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 we don't need more acres of food plots we need to just manage the food plot acres we have first and then we'll start talking about adding other acres and it's like, instead of having 10 really good trees, they have 30, and they man, they maintain hardly any of them. And so you might see a big open area, and there's 30 trees, 8-foot spacing, 10-foot spacing, whatever the spacing they chose or was advised, out through there, and there's tubes on all of them, and you're like, even if, even if 8 years from now, 10 years from now, they were raining harder soft mass, there's still no strategy. It's like a food plot where it's like that pear down on that end may be the most attractive one during the fall, during hunting season, but yet it's 40 yards out of range with a bow. And then you're yep. kind of like, well, huh. It's all in. There wasn't great strategy involved in that. And and that's eight years, ten years down the line, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just that's- the investment going, okay. I put the tree in the ground, I fertilize it, I've kept the weeds at bay, I've kept the disease at bay, I've kept the pests at bay, and I've done that every year, and I've pruned it every year, and we've moved forward, and we've done that every year for eight years, and now it's raining fruit. Oh, and by the way, now it's not in the right location. It's out of range. That's where... You know, when you see a lot of these, I know I've seen some doozies, man. I've seen a lot of trees planted in in almost borderline closed canopy, whereas like the edge of the field and you look and like it's already, it's not really even getting sunlight here. Yeah, it, it, it's under the drip line of massive existing field edge trees. And there's like, there's no way, hope, chance of survival here. Yeah. Like that was, that was um, wasted effort, unfortunately. That's right. I would, I, I kind of wonder what the actual percentage of fruit tree, let's just strictly go with recreational properties, but like the amount of fruit trees that go in the ground and within five years, let's just first say that are still alive. What percentage do you think that actually is five years down the line to get planted? Mm, That'd be tough to say. I bet it's not great. Let's just say it's 50%. You think that's fair? Okay. Yeah. I think it's fair. Let's go five more years down the road. Of that, of that fifty percent, or half of what you planted, how many of them are producing enough mass, whether soft or hard, but producing enough mass that is alternating or or or, or impacting deer wildlife movement? Keep it broader wildlife movement that there's a substantial quantity being produced 
to impact them. What percent of the 50 is doing that? Yeah, 25. You can almost just cut it in half. So at best, at best, what, that a quarter of your trees that yeah. you're actually ever going to plant mm-hmm. are, are going to go and be impactful in most circumstances, in most, like let's just say the typical, the widely accepted um, usage of these trees that you see, whether, you know, let's just call it planting design, um, you know, what we just talked about, what we just summarized, the picture we just painted, um, that's, I, I feel like a pretty strong reality. There's not research there to, to back that up. But anecdotally, I, I feel pretty confident that we're not far off on that. And I think, too, a lot of that comes down to the species that were chosen. seems like apples are the most commonly chosen fruit trees to plant, and yet they're down the list for me because they're such sure. a, you know, they can be. And there's probably some guys in Michigan right now that are like, you guys are stupid. I can't believe New you. York well, as well. I, that, that was That's far from the accent that, that I needed to <laughs> when I said that. But... um because up there, there's so many fruit orchards, and there's so, I mean, there's there's ones just growing in the wild up there, and they're probably thinking, like, they can grow, like, weeds up here, but much of the other parts of the country, it doesn't happen that way, and that's, understand that we're not just seeing what you guys have to deal with, we're seeing what almost everybody has to deal with, depending on what part of the country you're in or what state you're in and so i see a lot of failure in apple trees across a lot of the country and yet it seems to be yeah. like the number one choice um probably you know i love uh, I, I like pears a lot more than i like apples um and 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 i've hunted properties that had apples that were producing years that there was no acorns and the apples were producing it was definitely attractive but that was like an oddball once every five years. But by golly, once every five years, it was pretty awesome. And uh, sure. I think, um, you know, it's it's if you're looking at it from a first eight years or first ten-year standpoint, that's where the odds are not in your favor. Like when you look at that and you say, ugh. But if you can, this is a long play. This is the, you know, this isn't. Land Management 101, 202. This isn't um, this isn't 80 grit management by any means. I mean, that's typically what people think of our podcast and our messages. It's 80 grit because habitat is so out of balance and so unhealthy that we have to go in and use some pretty. I mean, we're throwing haymakers. We're throwing a big sword, big stick, trying to knock things back into place. And for the landowners who have started really doing that, and when a lot of our clients are doing it, and it's pretty amazing what they're seeing. Now you can dial in and go, okay, there's a few things we can do, or there's a lot of things we can do that um, are more of this 220 grit where it's like, you know, if if there's TSI to be done and I'm working on planting trees, I'm, 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 I'm not prioritizing the correct projects. But if you're making some pretty good licks with the true habitat management, and really restoring different things and providing more more acres of quality habitat. These are some things that you can do that'll be really fun. Not only just a kind of a legacy feeling where you feel like, you know, Chad and I, we planted these trees and I'll elaborate more on what we did. But at one point through it, I thought, I told him, I said, isn't it crazy to think that, you know, maybe one of our future generations will be like, you know, up there on that ridge on grandpa's place or whoever's place, 
He's got some oaks. I forget what they are. I think they're nut all oaks. Like you don't see those around here very much. And you can think, well, that's that's really cool that they planted those trees, and now we go and see the wildlife using them now. Um, so there is that kind of nostalgic side of the of tree planting sure. that is that is that is cool. But if you look at it from the first eight years, it can be like, nah. <laughs> there's probably better things to do. Yeah, and I think that's where um, we've we've really taken that conversation uh, with, with the fruit trees with mass production anything because we can release a uh, let's just say a 30 year old white oak tree and and um have some awesome gains potentially on that production of a 30 year old tree by just going and cutting stuff around it versus going and planting tree and waiting years and years and years like we can see a quicker result by doing the csi like you suggested but there is still that legacy feeling of okay this is good um i can be impactful here I think honestly, that's kind of where the conversation, let's say for many, many years, we're talking about fruit and nut producing trees has ended. And it's like, well, we were talking about this month ago, Adam. And it's like, I, I don't know why the, the conversation kind of stopped there. Like the strategy behind, if you're going to take the time to plant, a food plot. Well, don't you think about like what type of food you're putting where on a property? Like that's the, the, the forage selection is relative to the other components of the property, whether right. it be a slope, whether it be access, whether it be um, the, the bedding opportunities close by when are deer using that the most or when is, what is the surrounding our, natural forage here? Yeah. Like, is this supplemental like when it when when is wildlife going to use this late summer early fall late winter like so on so forth we we make those decisions food plots but we honestly i i really feel like most people don't extend that line of thinking uh, or they may think about it but they don't implement it well when they make the fruit tree and, and and um hard mass selections that's right i i I don't think so at all and and like i said earlier it's kind of shotgun blast i'll take five apples and three pears and two persimmons and a a couple uh chestnuts and and uh i might grab another you know uh, some sort of uh asian persimmon and throw it all in there and a couple crab apples and one of them's gonna produce and it's like yeah but what's the strategy involved like um, it could be the fact that, oh, well, you're in crop country, let's say, and um, you've chosen a species that's going to produce early in the season, but knowing that the that there's going to be something even more attractive. Let's say the neighbor has an alfalfa, like, like acres and acres of alfalfa. You're going to try to lure the deer up to your one persimmon or your one pear tree while the neighbor has acres and acres and acres of alfalfa and oh by the way the bedding is a little bit closer to that good luck with that like that's not the correct strategy and 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 so you could try to compete with them but it depends on what they have or the neighbor has or whatever it may be the the piece of wildlife management the wma or the uh the the uh state ground whatever it may be you have to look and see what's going to be most attractive 
um, for your site, what can grow on the site, what you're competing with, and then as well think about um, what you could provide in that specific location based on bedding uh, at that time of the year. Um, and and that, that's a huge missing element, I think, to to this whole conversation it is like we – if you're going to go forward and do this and you're not planting like acres and you're not developing this, like, let's say orchard um, scenario, like you painted um, yeah. in the beginning of the podcast, then you're, then you're putting or placing out, you know, let's just say less than two to four trees in, in a given area. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're throwing them out there. Uh, well, there has to be, or there should be a, a hunting strategy related to again, we do that with food plots. We do that with bedding. Why would we not try and supplement and put the time and energy behind the strategy of, hey, we're going to have this crop or this limited resource? Because that's ultimately what it is. I think we we say food plots are generally limited, yes. a limited resource on, on a property, and that can be that can be very true. Um, but we're we're not talking about like. A, a two-acre food plot, that's, that's a ton of food in there, right? That there's, We're not much limiting here. But we're talking about a handful of trees. That's a very finite, limited resource. So it better it better be um, available during the time when that other food source, i.e. the food plot, is also available. Because that's right. if not, then, then you're spreading game and wildlife out across your property that doesn't have any correlation that doesn't have any pattern ability. And now you're sitting there, you just threw out that fruit tree or that soft, the hard mass. And um, you're sitting around waiting for something to actually like be repetitive. And, and there's not because your food, let's say the, the supplemental food on your plate um, has no rhyme and reason. It has mm-hmm. no strategy involved in it. And so yeah. then how could you develop a hunting strategy around, a, a food strategy that is not a strategy in the first place. Like it just doesn't make sense at yeah. all. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge place where people are at with it. That's right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's where you're off to the wrong, you're off on the wrong foot right out of the gate. As soon as those roots hit the dirt, you're already behind the eight ball. And that's where, so Chad and I, um, we've been planning, you know, on the woodlands, we've been going through, the timber thinning and, and burning and creating new food plots and creating new um, temporary forest openings and um, basically clear cuts and planning out major TSI and um, planting diverse natives, spraying invasive species, restoring riparian edges with tree plantings um, like cottonwoods okay. and willows, which, by the way, are, are already starting to leaf out. I'm very excited about oh, that. Please. Um, what else have we done? We planted switchgrass. I planted some screens in a couple key places. We planted some more trees for screens with the, with the short leaf pine and the rough leaf dogwood. And now the switchgrass. So it's like three layers of a screen and then you have diverse natives and then you have a food plot and then you have edge feathering. Like we've done so much that now we kind of look at it going, okay, Oh, vernal pools or wildlife ponds. We've done that. And this is where I think <clears throat> this is what I'm, I'm most excited about. And it's kind of one of those where I'd like to peel back the curtain and look five years from now to see what's going on or 10 years from now, especially with these tree plantings. Um, 
But actually, you know, for us, some of these food plots are, one of them is about uh, two acres, another one's about three acres. Um, anybody who's ever hunted three acre opening knows that there's a good amount of time that deer are standing outside of bow range and you, you constantly racking your brain going, how do you get these deer within bow range consistently? You need that much food. You, 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 you have to offer that much food. Yeah. But how do you, how do you adequately hunt it? Yeah. I need that congested area. Like, like I'm going to a, a professional baseball game. I need that congested hallway that we all crowd through. And then we go out to the stadium. I need that congested area that the deer crowd through or come through. And I'm right there. And, and we're trying to do all kinds of stuff. And we are blessed enough that we get to see a lot of things that landowners have done for, you know, some of our landowners have owned their property their entire life and they're up in their, and they're up in age. So they've tried things long before we were even in business. And some of these guys have done some awesome stuff. Some of these guys, um, have, have done a lifetime of 30 years to nowhere kind of management. And, um, you know, one thing that we're utilizing is when we look at these food plots, we go, okay, the bedding is most important. Like we got to have strategic bedding areas and then let's use some edge feathering to try to steer them in a little better. But then let's also think about things that we can provide that can uh, attract the deer when they come out into the food plot. What can we do to attract them up to bow range or, or down into our bow range? And, um, we know that bucks are, that they, they do a lot of scraping especially in field edges. So one thing we do a lot of is mock scrapes or really trying to maintain scrapes within bow range or close to it. And then if there's any outside of that on down to the other end of the food plot, we start cutting those trees down or those limbs down. So it's like, okay, the, the best scrapes are down here within bow range. That's one thing. But whenever you're creating these food plots with a dozer like Chet and I, a lot of the trees on the edge that have been growing in closed canopy hardwoods, they don't have lower there's no, branches. There's no limbs. So we have yeah. to like stick things up or hinge cut some trees over and try to do it, and it's a really big pain. And we were like, you know what? It'd be great to plant some trees that had lower branches that we could just start, you know, using as scrape trees. And then you go, well, if I'm going to plant a tree, why don't I plant something that's attractive? That that's going to drop some hard or soft mass. And then you take that one step further and you're like, you know what? We need to plant multiple species here that all are starting to drop about the same time or same, you know, period during the hunting season. And that could really attract all the deer up here to this end because they are browsers. They are diverse browsers they don't just eat the same thing every day they eat a very diverse diet so if we can provide not only hard mass that's dropping let's say late late season so late november into december and be on the ground in january and february um, to provide additional forage even after season that could be awesome but let's look for a late drop soft mass like I think everybody and a lot of people have hunted around and found a persimmon tree that for whatever reason, it's a late drop genetic. It's got late drop genetics. So it starts dropping and you know, we have some trees that are dropping in December around here and those are money, but oddly enough, Matt, they're not in the best hunting locations. 
I can think of the one out by your driveway. Like if you could pluck that tree up or the the gravel road, pluck that tree up and go stick it in the corner (laughs) of your field. Talk about amazing late season hunting. We, we were driving past that thing. I mean, we were checking the calendar, like still not really dropping. It's still not really dropping. And it was almost Christmas, wasn't it? It was, it was right around Christmas time frame when it really started to start dropping. And I had some in my yard that deer were feeding on, but they dropped in late October, mid, mid late October. Yeah. And uh, in comparison, that, that tree, that other individual that we're talking about is 350 yards away. Um, <laughs> right at the end completely of it. different. And it just yeah. held till December in the amount of tracks and scats. And uh, everything in the road, when it started to, it decided to drop, boy, it was all over. However, it was only going to be at nighttime because it was right along the ground road and, and in a wide open field. Yeah. But it's like. Right next to a house. In the, yeah. Yeah. But, but it's like, that's the kind of power uh, of stuff that we're talking about where you have this limited resource that is um, substantial enough in it so it's healthy and it's, so it's quality, but the, the quantity is there provided as well. No doubt. Like, it, yeah. You, you get those things matched together. Now we're talking about something I can get excited about, but mm-hmm. it just, it just, it just rarely happens. And, and I'm kind of getting to part of the, the conversation here. I think it's, we can bring in the, the, the term here as we start really dissecting what you're planting, where you're planting it. But yeah. more, more importantly, why you're planting mm-hmm. these things in these certain locations, and and that there was a term, biological term. I just, I guess, I remember it from college, um, ecology class or something. But it, the term was predator swamping. And essentially, it's when when prey animals are dropping all of their, let's say, offspring at a certain time frame in a very condensed window. So you flood the system, although there's predators there present, because all the offspring are produced within, you know, let's say a two-week time frame, they get to a point where they can begin evading predators within two to three more weeks. But in that scenario, although there's a lot of offspring present at one time, the predators can only eat so much of that prey, right? That's right. Yeah. So you have more going into, um, let's say their, their more safety, more adulthood, they're, they're, they're continuing to grow and not being consumed as I guess in comparison, if you had a, um, four or a five week time period when, um, let's just call it fawns when fawns are dropping. Well, now you have so many different ages of fawns on the landscape, coyotes, or whatever other predators can go out there and really hammer on that um, scale. So that term is predator swamping. When you have a short, condensed, high reproduction, they're all dropping. Boom. Mm-hmm. Well, so how does that how does that transfer over into trees? Ultimately, yeah. that's that's where because you're going whoa whoa whoa. In this day and age, every good story leads to predators, right? Every good land management story leads to predators yeah. somehow. I know we can get off. I know we can get off on rabbit trail sometimes with this podcast, but we're bringing it back. So yeah. Hang on. And so you <laughs> but think it does about have a point. yeah. It how has how does that correlate with trees? And and really comes down to we're trying to provide 
a a a very attractive region of of a food plot or an area and drop as much f- food fruit or ch- uh, hard mass acorns in that area to where it can't all just be consumed in one night. When you think about like, oh yeah, we got one apple or three apples and it drops 20 apples. It doesn't take but a couple of nannies and a, and dofons and a button head to consume that in, in a very short window of time. So you lost that benefit. You lost that attractiveness in just a snap of your fingers. But if you have the ability to plan out ahead and go, okay, for example, one of them that we, one of the planting areas that we did on, on the, on the woodlands was we had this new food plot. It's about uh acre and a half and the whole area is about three and a half acres. And so we've got the half of it is native, diverse natives with some scattered post oaks. So a white oak family could drop acorns during October. Um, that's typically when I see post oaks being attractive here uh, in the Ozarks uh, on that on that farm in particular. Then we have mainly north slope and east slope from that where we've put strategic bedding on that east slope that has a little bit of north aspect to it as well. So kind of a north and an east bedding area close to this food plot, which means deer with a, with a winter coat during the early part of season, don't have very far to go to be seen in daylight. And now we're going to, and we planted two bur oak, swamp white oak hybrids. We planted chinkapin, a dwarf chinkapin oak, and we planted a, uh, a swamp oak, a, um, a swamp white oak. And then we planted three early drop persimmons, um, the grafted persimmons. And, uh, and that well, was well, just well, Adam. Why wouldn't you plant a late drop persimmon there to to make deer keep coming to that? Yeah, that's a good question. And ultimately, <laughs> it comes down to the north and the east slopes are typically going to be our early bedding. Um, that's where they're going to bed during the early part of the season. And um, so we're kind of really positioning, going, okay, this is really early season. There's a water hole there, a little. Uh, Vernal pool that that's just set up great. Um, so there's basically within 35 yards of where the blind location will be, and, and it has to be a blind location based on the on the lay of the land. Like we had no other way around it. So it's a blind, and within 30 yards of that, you'll have seven different fruit trees or seven different hard hard mass trees that we planted. Now there's also right right down at the edge of the food plot a really big white oak that we've kind of released around it. Hopefully, you know, it's a big acorn producer. It seemed like it based on the oak region on the, on the forest floor around it. So we're banking on that being a really attractive early season tree immediately. And then as our other trees grow up, you know, over time, this would be a, a just a swamping of forage, like forage swamping where we throw everything we got at it. So during a three week window or two week window there, there is a lot of stuff that's going on. A lot of fruit, a lot of hard mass hitting the ground, and deer are coming to it. And then I'll shift over to another area where I'll, I'll go uh, real quick. I'll, go ahead. I'll, opposed to opposed to the the predator swamping, right? We're we're taking that line of thinking and calling it forage swamping, where everyone can think of a food plot on their property. You know, like they know when that food plot is most active throughout the season. Most times there's just like that peak 
time frame because of the resources around it. It's not necessarily just, oh, well, let's clover. Oh, oh well, it's soybeans. Or it's that, like, it's, it's relative to all these aspects. And that's essentially what you're talking about is now you're considering all these aspects and identifying what time frame based on the bedding, based on the slope, based on the other forages, um, when that area is going to be the hottest. And so that's when you put in and make your fruit tree and mass selections on their drop time. You're flooding it, you're swamping it, but it's based on forage. So there's just this mass exodus to the food plot because why in the world would you bed anywhere else? Why in the world would you feed anywhere else? Yeah. Everything's there. Yeah. And and with the strategy involved in that too is, you know, after a couple of weeks, you know, this is with anything, with any deer on, on your property, it's like they, they're shifting with other food sources. So that food plot may not be the same attractive, or the, the attractiveness name may not be the same September as it is in December. You should be, be aware that they're going to shift. So we're shifting and going, okay, well, accounting for that north slope and east slope has more white oaks and it has more shade and it's cooler that's that's just naturally early season. But as you yep. shift and you move a little bit further south, that's when you get into more black oak, more of the red oak species. And so there's going to be late season acorn dropping. Utilize more during during uh, late November and December and January. And so we're going to take that to our advantage and say, okay, here we're planting, um, I'm trying to make sure I get this right, we're planting three oaks and it and i could be wrong on this but two schumers and a and a and a nut all and then we planted three late drop pears and three late drop persimmons and then our food plot will be hopefully a mix you know got some different things we're always tweaking and and trying to trying to uh, improve on, but we're hoping that, you know, we're banking on having some grain, hopefully, some standing soybeans or milo or kind of ruling out corn based on bears and raccoons, but hopefully it's soybeans or milo or or both. And then also some brassicas right up front. So right within 30 yards, we should have an edge that's standing grain. We should have a nice patch of brassicas. We should have soft mass with the three persimmons we should have soft mass with the three pears and we should have hard mass with the three oaks and the oaks are i chose those specific varieties because um there we're a little bit out of the range but even here in my subdivision i found two of them planted um back uh, 15 years ago and every i mean even today, I took my my kids on a walk. I had the whole gang with me, the two girls and the boy. And and the the oldest girl goes, Daddy, can we get acorns? And, uh, yeah, I didn't teach her. Her mom would kill me if I taught her to say it, acorns. But um, she said, can we get acorns? And I said, honey, it's the wrong time of the year for acorns. She goes, squirrels ate them all? And I said, yep, or they're, or they're buried or they're spoiled, but we're not going to find any acorns. And she's like, okay. But she asked me all the time because – those trees rain acorns and they're 15 years old 
and they've been raining them since I got here five years ago. So I'm like, at right. 10 years old, they were raining them. And I'm like, man, I can bank on 10 years. 10 years is nothing in the grand scheme of things. I'll plant That's a few. Right. And and you know what? Hey, 10 years from now, I'll be 44, right in, right in prime, man. And I could have not only awesome trees that are producing hard and soft mass, varieties of each, but also they're now great scrape trees. Like if I leave a few strategic lower branches when I'm pruning, I can have phenomenal scrape trees within bow range. So as I have great access into my blind with a switchgrass screen, edge feathering, strategic bedding areas, I'm putting a water hole out front. So, you know, I've always kind of compared the water hole going well they get most of their water from their forage but you know what i and i've told this to several clients and and it's about the best of analogy i have but if i go to the grocery store i hear there's snow coming and i go to get like everybody else i go to get bread and milk i walk out with bread milk and a snickers why did i get a snickers matt because it's right next to where i'm checking out it's the impulse buy and I, I feel you were, say, you were grabbing that snow shovel that they split over there. No, <laughs> I'm grabbing a Snickers because I'm like, hey, I don't really want a Snickers, but you know what? Now that's right here next to checkout, I think I'll have a Snickers. And I feel like, you know, in observing deer in those water holes where it's like, you know, I, I don't know where you came from, but surely you already had a drink, but just because you're right next to it, you grab a, you grab a drink. And I think that, you know, in monitoring these areas with our trail cameras, we're seeing that where it's like, man, they drink out of that quite a bit. And it's like, okay, I don't know if they needed it or it's just, it's easy access, but now deer are coming to that water hole. Imagine what will happen when we have hard mass raining, we have soft mass dropping, we've got diversity of food plots. So that already attracts them to the area. You got a water hole. And we have great access to where we never have to step foot in the fo- in the food plot. Like that is some in depth planning that I want to really make sure every single food plot has that out. Oh, I think I think that the you have to have the foundation built first for this to be effective. Yeah, and and essentially you're talking about um, water being a convenience factor. And I, I think that's that's totally what it is. Like. If there wasn't a food plot there or there wasn't a clear cut, you know, edge 80 yards away in three years, let's just imagine that's not there, but you had put a water hole. Are you going to have the same activity? Well, no, like we know that because they're going to be bedded 80 yards that way. and They're feeding here. Like, of course, proximity and, and the, like the building of features on top of one another or in relation to one another gets more usage and and so that's where adding in the right trees um to to, to correlate with those same features of bedding and the food the 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 strong bases of a property uh that that's where it becomes that much more impactful or effective so to me i just think like man for years and years and years this whole idea of planting trees has has been good and heartfelt but it's really missed the boat and i'm not saying this like a just a better mouse trap or anything but like they're just suggesting that there needs to be that deeper sense of um relation to other aspects on your property to feel like what you did 
in planting trees, soft or hard mass, was that much more beneficial. Like, like it was impactful. Like, you want to be able to see those changes in wildlife relate to. Like, I know you guys put in a, several ponds when you guys dozed in the food plots. There's mm-hmm. one here at the house. And, and it's like, oh, man, I just went there. And, I, you know, there's tracks all around it. Like, and then they're steadily using it. Like, it, that's, that's cool to be able to see. Like, hey, we made those decisions. They're, they're utilizing them. Great. Well, like, 10 years from now, how, take that same feeling, but it's like a delayed feeling, a pent-up feeling. How excited are you going to be 10 years from now, maybe when your kids are sitting in one of those blinds with a crossbow, and kill their first year because they're coming to to a to a tree. But it took strategy and all the other factors to make it happen. But it still is like that delayed sense of, and I now I'm seeing and reaping the reward that happened. But it's because of everything. It's not because of that one tree, but it's because of all the aspects of like entire entire land management, not just like this segmented like we talked earlier. The, podcast with oh checking the box like no it, it's this way it's it's more than that i don't want to i don't want to seem like oh well, i can't i can't now decide what trees i need to plant like it, it's so it's so complicated it's not complicated it's just hey we're just suggesting use more thought into the selection yeah that's of right what you- that's right and i and i think that really comes down to it is we've selected um timely trees and by that I mean we've got ones that drop during a specific time of hunting season and we've correlated that with the usage of the property during that time frame, whether it be more south slope and west slope for these late season dropping um, hard or soft mass trees. And then we have north and east slope correlated with early drop um, harder soft mass trees. And, and I think the combination of that is going to be deadly. And if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't have spent majority of my Saturday when I had a lot of stuff to do anyway, planting those things. Chad and I ran around and my gosh, we planted a lot of trees. I think it was, I don't remember people laugh, but it was just like, here we go. We're planting seven here, 10 here, six here, seven there. And when you strung it out across the entire property, it's like, my goodness, this is taking a while. (laughs) I hope you wrote you wrote everything down, right? Yeah. Planting day. Okay. Yeah, Good. yeah. And then we also, you know, then we did a whole tree inventory, starting to do our forestry management plan, and it was like, and that was pretty cool. Then we'll cover more on a pot, future podcast about that. But like, just in simple terms, like when you're taking a plot and we're going to this GPS, just randomly selecting this GPS coordinate and going, okay, here's the GPS coordinates. Let's stick a, you know, here's a pile of rocks like the old surveyors. So 20 years from now, we can go to that GPS coordinates, find that rock, then inventory the growth rate of the trees or what trees are still there, um, the canopy cover, both prior uh, to TSI and after TSI. And, you know, like, that's some pretty cool stuff. You're giving, you're giving yourself a baseline to yeah. build more costs. Yeah. So, anyway, it's... Uh, yeah, I'm a, Saturday was a good day. It was a fun day. Chad and I running all over the place. We're we're worn out. I'm still a little worn out from it, and I'm never going to catch up with these crazy kids. But um, it was it was one of those where it's like I I can't wait ten years from now to see what see what the survival rate of these trees are. You know, we selected ones that are pretty hardy already. You know, uh, 
you know, planting oaks, we feel pretty good. Uh, I planted one that I already had in my yard uh, in a pot. Uh, I planted it, and it was already budding out, getting ready to start bursting forth with some leaves. The other ones that I got already were there, and so then we got a good amount of rain, so hopefully they didn't get drowned out, but they got kind of got some good moisture. Yeah. I will so. say that it was it was a good, slow, soaking rain out here. And not as much as they were calling for either. No. So. Nope. It was gentle all night long. Yeah. So it was definitely well received yeah. out here. We so. re- we planted around fifteen hundred trees, I think this this uh, this last month and a half with our with our riparian planting and then with this, um, and so yeah, and then we riparian. only we cut a couple thousand, so we're trying to get back. <laughs> cut a tree, plant a tree. Cut a tree, plant a tree. Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot more planting to do, my friend. Oh. Yeah, but no, we got way more cutting to do too. Because every time I walk by the forest up there, I'm like, there's way too many trees. Still, isn't it funny? Yeah, like <sighs> you know, we we shot some videos and stuff up through there. We've made the same comments, like, man, I know you guys cut a lot, but like, there's some just portions or areas where it's like, TSI wise, like this is still heavy TSI in here. Yes, like there just wasn't a lot that they could cut, but man, yeah. Like when you go into an area that's been logged and the BA is still an 80, you're like, geez, yeah. Louise, we want to get this thing. It's West Slope. I want to get this thing to 30 or 40. A lot of trees on the ground. Yeah, or a <laughs> lot of trees dead standing. Yeah. So, well, cool. Anyway. Well, I, think, I think that gives a good summary of the idea of forage swamping, being more thoughtful, like, putting all these aspects of property management into one. Like, and, and I think that's the beauty of starting with 80 grit management and going to 220. Your 220 is not going to be impactful if your 80 isn't done, but also that 220 type grit is not going to be as impactful if it doesn't correlate well with what you've done previously and what you've built as your foundation. And, and if people are, we always get asked all the time, like, you know, what do you start with? Well, number one, most times it's, it's cover. You got to have cover on a place. And that, that's the starting point from your 80 grit. But, but this is cool. And this is fun to be able to talk about the detail work. We just need to make sure everyone's aware that this is coming secondary to the base, the foundation. If you have that, go forward with this. Yeah. Run at lightning speed that's that'd be awesome mm-hmm. but um, don't think that you're gonna have the impact by going out and planting a couple of these trees um if the mm. priority levels are are, are out of whack here yeah or and, we're out of line. and when i said oaks i i didn't mean sawtooths so don't assume <laughs> <laughs> we planted yeah uh, what else did i tell you i told you all the the swamp basic yeah. swamp white oak bur oaks um and uh schumerds and nut alls yep yeah so man i'm excited to see what happens pretty cool to think about you know a society goes great or a society what is that old parable a society is uh goes great when old men plant trees in which the shade they'll never sit under or set in something like that i hope that i'm sitting in the shade of these trees at some point because good gosh like i'm not that old Nah. So you'll see the reward. You'll see the benefits 
and uh, it'll be it'll be cool to see it happen. Yeah, and, you know, one of those Chad was laughing because uh, a lot of these had those little water holes next to him, and he goes, "You know what'd be pretty crazy is to think that We're that done. little nut all right there is going to be raining acorns right here in this close to this uh, close to this pond, and we start attracting wood ducks up here. Like that would be that would be cooler than seeing a 140 out there in that plot. That would be like we're doing some stuff here that it's just all sorts of crazy for a couple of Ozark boys to start attracting wood ducks into the plots. You don't get you don't get a lot of wood ducks on those ridge tops, but they'd be cool to see. No doubt, no <laughs> doubt. So, guys, we hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. And uh, man, I want to hear what kind of fruit trees or hard mass trees you planted. I know it's heavy in planting season right now for that. I've seen a lot of posts on it social media. So, shoot us a uh, shoot tag us in a social media post and, and show us your fruit trees. We sure would appreciate it. Matt, final thoughts. Peace out, guys. Check us out on the next podcast. You'll love that one as well. Appreciate yeah, you guys. He listening. said, "Peace out." Wow. Okay. Peace out. Peace out. All right, guys. We'll see ya. See ya.